We're actually going to be in our last week in the series. I think it's our last week in the series. I'm pretty sure it is. We've been talking about it for a few weeks, and it's called Relationship Rx. We've been thinking as we think about how we can be better in 2019 about ways that the gospel uh, informs our relationships in practical ways, right? And so that's been the intention. Uh, you'll remember that first week we talked about God is love and that that's a fundamental relationship that every person is invited into who is breathing, right? Like there's many conversations about who God is and what, how God reveals himself, but there's a practical reality, and this is what I hope that you and I as believers in Christ can impress upon other people. It's not about a religion. It's not about even being on church on Sunday. It's about a living, breathing, active relationship with the God who made you. There's a couple of places in Scripture where, where Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, uh, Lord, Lord, did I do great things in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. Because it seems that Jesus is far more important to be known by him and to know him than it is to do things in his name, um, even though we're called to obedience. So it's, uh, it's definitely rooted in relationship. And we remember this, this opportunity is that um, God offers that to everybody. And so that's the thing. Often people describe it in other ways. So what we've been doing every week is we've been muddling some fruit. And we're going to, this is our last Sunday for muddling fruit. I'm sure you're all sad about that. <laughs> But uh, with the first ingredient we always put in is the love of God because it's, it's, it's offered to every single person. If there's a person that believes that God does not love them, they are believing a lie because God has demonstrated his love for us in this, that he gave his only son that we could be saved. We could be free of our sin. And so we put that in the bucket first always. And then we, ooh, boy, squirted. We muddle it up together. Last week, we had some folks come up after I muddled all the fruit. We're going to put a little more God's love in there because I just can't get enough of that. So we're going to keep after it. Somebody came up and was like, it smelled so good. And it was, they were muddling it up. And it was, it's awesome. Now, last week, then the, the week two, we talked about relationships reveal Christ. And Paul makes this big thing about marriage in, in Ephesians 5. But he ends up saying that, or Ephesians 6, right? But he ends up saying that ultimately what's being demonstrated in marriage is a model that Jesus Christ perfected. And there's some mystery in that, but it's revealed in relationships. So in Christ's coming, and we had pineapple. But guess what, y'all? We don't have pineapple today. And that's not because I don't have any pineapple. That's because it's on purpose. Because what we're going to talk about today is the third party's relationships. And that is um, God's intended purpose for parenting. And we're going to talk about why I would not then say, well, of course, you have to have a relationship before you have parenting, right? Um, I think that we think that way often, but that's not always the case. Um, meaning a relationship with, another, uh, with an, another adult, right? And so I have today for muddling these adorable blueberries. Look how cute. They kind of came show them to you. They're so cute. And we're going to smash them in here into the love of God. <laughs> and so we're talking about God's intended purpose for... I don't know. The, the strawberries just overwhelmingly smelling over the. I'm going to put them all in. All the babies. Get in there. Get in there. All right. And so now often you would have pineapple in here as well, right? You have a relation, you have relationships, and then you have this parenting opportunity. But we want to talk about that. Oh, I wanted to share a verse of scripture with you. Should be up here. Let's see. Yeah. So, and by the way, that little, that's going to be fill in the blank today. Christ loves children. The, the reason that we're talking about parenting today is because Jesus was inordinately concerned 
uh, with children, I want to do what we always do. I want to uh, pray before we get into the scriptures. We're going to jump in this morning and talk about what God's word says about parenting and how we're called to do it. But pray with me first. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you again that as Ellen prayed for the snow that's falling outside and the glory of your creation. The fact here in the Midwest we get to taste so many seasons that other people would just stand in awe and we kind of get a little annoyed by it, Father. But it is glory to you, your created order, the way you've made everything, and then indeed the way you made us. We give you thanks and praise this morning. We pray, Father, for those who aren't with us, that you would bless them where they are, that they could grow in you because they only need you to grow, and that we, as we gather here, would grow together in you and in your word. Father God, would you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you give us like a ability to sit at your feet and hear your word and let it wash over us and shape us in a fundamental way that we need this morning? May you be glorified. We're utterly dependent upon you as our Heavenly Father, so would you give us to this, this um, for your glory and our good. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who loves us children. Amen. All right, so we're going to go ahead and put this up here now so we can talk. So this is the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and this is what the Word says. You know the story, but I want to just, this is our opening text, our Focus can be Deuteronomy 6 today, but this is our opening text. This is the story. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. And I'm going to just talk about this for a minute before we move on to Deuteronomy. So uh, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, the word says, right? I want to talk about the opening idea here, that the reality is that People were bringing their children in the middle of the ministry of Jesus and his normative experience. He's, he's, he's been just confounding scholars. I mean, people who have studied the Bible their whole life are amazed at things that Jesus is teaching. And then there are people who are bringing their children um, to Jesus almost automatically. I have to assume here, and I look back, this text says people, but it really says they were bringing. Jesus had just been talking to the Pharisees, but before that, it was crowds. It was crowds. I can't imagine, perhaps, the Pharisees were bringing their children. I would imagine the crowds were bringing their children to see Jesus. And Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And you can see how now, all of a sudden, there's this weird uh, disruption of order, of importance. Why would they spend time talking? Why did Jesus spend time talking to these children whenever he has these important Pharisees to talk to? Okay. But it says people bring. But the word I want to get into here a little bit is that he could touch them. And I thought, well, that's such an interesting thing. And we maybe have that model, if you've ever seen people bring their babies to be blessed, you know, and they kind of hold them over the rail. Please, will you touch my baby? You know, that kind of thing. But there's a little different idea here. And I'm sure it was that laying on of hands, and I'm sure that Jesus had some great joy. But it, the word there means to, that he might inspire them, or that he might ignite a spark in them. That the desire that the parent would have in bringing a child to Jesus is that he might awaken something in the child that is intrinsically in the child, but woke by God. Does that make sense? That he would, you would bring your child, and it wasn't just a passive, oh, please touch my baby, and it was, certainly wasn't this thing like just passe, like, blah, blah, you're, you know, you're blessed. It was like that he might awaken my child to the reality he's te teaching. This is why they're bringing their babies. And so it's an idea of fire or ignition or, um, or creating a, a, a burning desire in these children. And so the, the people were bringing disciples, and, uh, the babies to the Jesus, and Jesus, our disciples were rebuking the people. Don't bother Jesus with the babies. Please, please, he's very important. It says Jesus, when he saw this, was indignant. 
it means he had a visceral reaction to it, you know. It, it, it messed up his insides that his disciples could misunderstand his purpose so much. And then he goes on to teach. By the way, this happens in all the Gospels, um, uh, Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we're going to read from Mark this morning. He said to them, the disciples, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Right? Don't keep these children from me. The kingdom belongs to them, is what Jesus says. Now, this is quite a bold statement because he's talking in front of Pharisees who think that the kingdom is about them, the important people. And he's like, no, the kingdom belongs to these. And the word says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You will never enter it unless you come like a child into the kingdom. And then, my favorite, he took the children in his arms, he put his hands on them, and he blessed them, made them happy, right? And so we have this, um, this reality from Jesus that he himself is delighted, delighted to receive children. That's pretty cool. It would be so easy for us to turn Christianity into an adult religion, Right? But the reality is that Jesus came uh, for all of us, including children. He came to seek and save the lost. And I'm certain there was great joy in that. So I want to go ahead and turn now, if you would, to Deuteronomy. And that's where we're going to spend our time today is in Deuteronomy, um, talking about this kind of modeling that we have in, um, in, following, in, in following the Lord and how we do that with our kiddos, um, particularly. So it's on page 126 if you have one of our Bibles. This is what the word says. Um, I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read a few verses, uh, starting in verse 4. And we're going to talk around a little bit, but 4 through 8 is so we're going to really focus on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today should be upon your hearts and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and write them on your gates. You, that probably sounds super familiar to you. And, and one of the reasons that that might sound familiar to you is you've been in family Bible for a while. We usually read that, I think we almost always read that verse as part of our baby dedications, right? Whenever people are bringing their children to um, ask the, the church to join them in raising the child in faith. That's what a dedication is. It's also modeled after Jesus himself on eight, as an eight-day-old eight baby um, being brought to the temple. In the, in the form of Samuel, right? Samuel was brought in the same way to the temple. That there's this right offering up of our children as gifts from God back to God, God's self. Yes? And so that's what we're, um, we're talking about uh, here. And so I, I want you to look in your Bible, if you would, this morning. Just look around. So we're in, we're in uh, Deuteronomy 6. But if you look right around, you can see in Deuteronomy 5, just probably on the, the page before it, that was the Ten Commandments had been given right? So this is the receiving of the law. This is, this is the do's and do nots of following Yahweh, what it means to follow God. And I think it's interesting that immediately upon telling Israel how they're called to follow God, 
then God lays out the standard for how we are to parent children or how we are to raise children. So the first thing is that um, they're given the law, and then twice, you'll see it actually in verse 3 and verse, and verse 4, hear that the word is Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. And so it's like this kind of idea of like, listen, pay attention, Israel. Like, it, like it's not a casual, like, this is just another thing to, to take note of. It's like, this is a big deal. As a matter of fact, this prayer in Judaism is like one of the most sacred prayers, the, the Shema. Everyone knows it. Hear, O Israel. What? What do we hear? The first thing is that Yahweh, our God, is one or is united, right? And it means one like the number one. It means number one like he's number one. It also means that he is of a single purpose and a singularity, like there's unity in the God that Israel is following. There's no um, di division or discord. And this is important because he was speaking to a culture that had many gods, that believed many things about God. And it's like, no, Israel, your God is one. Then the second thing, verse 5. What are you called to do now that you know that God is one? This is what you and I are still to this day called to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's what we're called to do with our lives, right? And so this command upon being given um, to the Israelites was, now love the God with everything that you have. And I want to talk through just for a minute because this becomes the bedrock of, um, of parenting. This becomes the, the if you're going to try to raise your kids to, or raise any kids to be believing in Christ, uh, you need to be believing in Christ first. That sounds so silly to say out loud. But I can tell you, in my experience, there's been many people who have tried to raise their kids in the faith when they don't believe. It's a very uh, impossible thing to do, really. So the first call is to, to love God with everything that you have, right? And so breaking it down a bit, love the God with what? All your heart. That's your inner person. That's when no one else is around. You're called to love God inside yourself. Like, really, through, through yourself um, in a very fundamental way. Not a performative love, not a, not a love because you're trying to fit in with the crowds, but a love because you believe you are compelled to love him, to know him. And then the second, you're called to love the God with all your soul. Now, that's interesting because you might think soul, and this would be fair, it would be like breath. And it, it means your breath. It means any animals that are breathing, right? But it also means your passion, if you think about people who are athletes, right, and they're, um, they're really working out, they're usually breathing a lot, yes? Like, like we aren't right now because we're not really, we're sitting, or we're, I'm standing, I mean, we're not doing anything. But if you're out there shoveling snow or if you, if you were like playing ball or whatever, you'd be <sighs> working hard. And, and that's the call to love God with all of that. Another way you could say it, by the way, you're talking about is your appetites. L love your God with the things that you pursue, the things that you go all that taste, do you taste it? Do you smell it? Have you tasted it? It's super good. You're to love God with your soul, your appetites, your passions, your desires. And then the third thing is you're called to love God with all your strength. And this is actually the things that you chase or pursue, your passions. 
So we're called to love God individually um, and collectively, by the way. And I want to say one more thing before we move on from this. But this says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, Romans 9 is so instructive because it ties in the faith of all Judaism to the faith of Christianity. We often discombobulate that stuff. But the reality is that we have the same faith that Judaism had and, and, and the people of God have in that they were waiting for a Savior whom we now have. And so, um, so the same faith that was saving them is saving us. As a matter of fact, Hebrews makes a great point of this very same thing, by faith, by faith, right? And so, um, so this command then to love the Lord your God applies to us. One more point. You must know this. Someone, Jesus is teaching. And somebody cruises up to him and says, Rabbi, what's the greatest law? Now, there were a lot of laws. And what does he quote? Shema. The Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. With your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says this. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor yourself. And then he throws in this tagline. Because all the law and all the prophets are fulfilled in those two things. Loving God and loving others. So he, Jesus himself, in his own teaching, when asked what's the most important thing, he quotes this and then adds a simple command about loving other people that fulfills all the law that God had ever spoken. Why did God make the Ten Commandments? Because it's ways to love other people, to not, to not be hateful toward them. So we have, to have that reality, right? So that ties in here too. <clears throat> okay, so verse 6. These commandments that are given today should be pressed upon your hearts, right? So again, that's the same idea, inner man. The same word there is the same exact as like love the Lord God with all your heart. It means to instill them in yourself, believing the law, believing the words that, that God had spoken to Israel about salvation and his plan. Check it out, though. This is where that it turns. So it turns super quickly in two verses from Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love Lord God with everything you have. And then teach your children. And I think that that's instructive, that God would turn so quickly from his concerns about you and me to his concerns about the next generation of people he's trying to save. As a matter of fact, if you look back in verse, um, verse 1, let's see, no, verse 2, Let's read both of those. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are taking across the Jordan to possess. This is entering the promised land. Verse 2. So that you, your children, and your children's children after them may what? Fear the Lord your God as long as you are keeping all his decrees and commands that I give to you so you may enjoy your long life. So the, the, the law wasn't given just to us, right? But it was given to us and the next generation. This is exactly why we dedicate children. This is exactly why we pray that by God's grace they might come to know him, know him as Savior and Lord of their lives. Because it's his great gift to his people Israel. And so we have, we have that kind of ensconced here that there's reality that immediately God's concern turns from us to others. Now here's, why would I say that? So because we often spend time thinking that the gospel is just for us, right? Like, well, I know it. Praise the Lord. And I'm saved. Praise the Lord. And I get to walk in the unity of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. And I get to grow as a disciple. Praise the Lord. But then that's it. And kind of like that person with like the one talent thing, I think we're going to show up and go, look at how good I did with what you gave me. And he's like, it wasn't for you. It was for other people. So we should 
give this away. We should train other people. We should invite other people in. And I am not saying I'm good at that. But that's what we're called to do, is to train up the next generation, to train up the next um, uh, baby coming into our, our, our body, our, our people. And so here's the opportunity. So they should be pressed upon your children. What does that mean to impress them on your children? What does that mean? The word has to do with like a pointedness, a sharpness of the word of God. You know, I remember we gave, uh, I told you this all before, but we gave a Bible to our kids when they were quite young for them to read. And then I started reading the Bible as a pastor and I'm like, man, that's a crazy book to give your kiddos. You know, we give them away. If you read it, they're it's sharp. There's some edges that hurt adults. And we give it to children. Now, sometimes we give them like a little uh, a storybook version of the Bible. It's, it's, it's cartoony and rounder and safer and more plushy. But that's just to lead them into the real thing, which is the appetite of the word, which is sharp. Cuts us. It tells us of who God is in no uncertain terms. And that's what the word, when it says impress them upon your children, it means that you're supposed to diligently teach them to your children or sharpen the word towards your children. Aim the word at your children. That this is the application of the word that's being used here in verse 7. Impress them on your children. And, and then we have a very clear instruction of how we're allowed to do this. And this is where I want to spend maybe most of our time today. Talk about them. What? The commands of God normalize the, the opportunities to discuss God's commands for his people. That's what's being said. And there's four distinct times that we're told to do this. And the first is, when you sit at home, and, and you might go, well, man, I'm like, what was it, Mar Mary or Martha who never sat down? They're always running around frantically working, right? I don't sit down at home. It doesn't mean literally sit. It means when you're dwelling in your dwelling. When you're abiding in your abode. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you're hanging out at your crib, Whatever you do, when you're chilling, I almost said Netflix and chill, right? That's what we think. We'll entertain ourselves. No, no, no. That there should be a normalized opportunity. Matter of fact, let's talk about that for a minute. What an awesome opportunity. You know, how many times do you lament the state of culture? You're like, oh, I mean, in your private time, you're like, oh, the world's so broken, the world's so broken, right? But then God has given many of us this space where we feel safe, where we can relax and take off the armor and kind of chill and put our feet up and flip the... But what an opportunity it is to then engage the culture in conversation. To sit around in our homes and discuss. To interpret the things that we see on our TV or on our internet or, or, or our Netflix or whatever through a lens of scriptural revelation. I'm not saying always be like, you know what the Bible says about that, but go, man, what, what is really being taught here? How is that accurate or not accurate according to the gospel of Jesus? What, what can we learn and then especially when you're doing this with your kids. How many homes are filled with kiddos with devices and they're just this way all the time? I mean, that's the way our house is too. I get it. But how many times are we look at from devices and say, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how that affects your life. Let's talk about what your friends are saying about you that's true or that's a lie. So we have opportunities to talk about these scriptures, these commands, when we set at our home. I think it's interesting that, that, that God starts the command there. He doesn't say go out and preach the gospel in the Netherlands, to go out and proclaim it in the corners, you know, go out and preach it in the streets, go out, go door to door. You know, he says start in your home. Discuss these commands with your children. Impress them upon your children. I think that in many ways, um, and maybe I'm wrong here, y'all, but I think that in many ways, 
some of us are reacting to how it's been done poorly in the past. You know, you kind of have that cliche. If you ever watch movies that have the old, any, almost any movie that has a Bible believer and it will have them be like a ridiculous, fundamentalist, unthinking moron, right? And just like, and they're unhateful usually. Like, rah, rah. And I think we all react to that. We go, we don't be like that, but we don't talk about it at all. Why well, can't we have a reasonable conversation in our homes about the, the, the commands of God? Or, or the second one as well is something that seems to be lost. Talk about the commands of God when you walk along the road. That means when you're just doing life, right? I'll tell you the truth, parents. You're called to walk through life with your children. And that walk is not always fun or easy, but it's life, right? And you know that because you've walked life yourself. And so as part of our remembering the commands of God, it's when you walk along the road. I always had that idea. This reminds me almost like an apprenticeship. You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I think is, is awesome about homeschooling in particular is that you spend a lot of time with your kids teaching them practical things. Like you go to the grocery store and you shop with them. Or they, they see how you live your life on a daily basis. Um, and so you have the opportunity more like an apprenticeship. This is the model. You would take your kids with you to work. You would take your kids with you down the road. And you would have these conversations in real time. Questions that the disciples asked Jesus, right? Like, well, why? Dad, why is that guy blind? Did he sin? walking along the road. Opportunities to give instruction. Opportunities to correct un- misunderstandings about the world. Misassumptions, bad assumptions we make. of our own devices that we would never be able to sort out without someone walking with us. Oh, wait, though. I don't take my kids with me because if they saw how I behaved at work, I'd be embarrassed. See, the other part of this walking along the road is inviting the, your kids into your life. You walk with them. That's how parents often think but I'm the parent. They stay out of my business. I think that's something we've seen too. But really, I think it's an intimacy. You walk along the road and you say, no, this is who I really am. This is my strengths. These are my weaknesses. This is the way I fail. This is the way I trust God. And you demonstrate for your kids through your life what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to believe Yahweh, what it looks like to keep the commands, and all the goodness and badness, all the beauty of that and the, and the ugliness of that. We demonstrate it by walking along the road and letting our kids into our lives. We're going to leave that there for now. We'll come back to that maybe a little bit. Next, when you lie down. Talk about it when you lie down or when you go to sleep. This is a pretty easy one. This is actually one that triggered this whole thought in my mind because um, I don't want us to ever undervalue the importance of bedtime conversations. By the way, some of you, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm not a parent, but maybe you're, you've babysat or maybe you're, you know, you, you're involved with kids. That, op- that moment when kids are just about to fall asleep is just re- full <laughs> of opportunity. <laughs> I don't know what it is about humanity after a long day, but you're thinking things, you're wondering about stuff, you know, and no matter how old or young you are, you got thoughts, you got things you're trying to sort out. And I think often we go, oh, I'm going to go read him a book and then put him to bed because I've had a long day. And I get that too. But there's a sweet golden opportunity to, um, to create uh, rituals, routines with your kids, but then also to, to have deep and meaningful conversations. Here's what I discovered about talking about Scripture when your kids lie down. That's usually about the time I run out of answers. Because if you talk to your kid long enough at bedtime, They'll ask you questions that you can't answer. I remember it happening. And so, so we have this opportunity, though, to invite our kids, what, into the wonder of what it means to worship God. Sometimes it's overt, like, 
bedtime prayer routines. Well, I pray with my kids when I put them to bed. Hey, praise the Lord. But I mean more than that, right? Conversations. They're holy. What is bedtime? It's a time that you're quiet. You're, you're, you're about to fall asleep. You're concerned about what it means to fall asleep and what it means to wake up. You might even have questions like, I don't want to go to bed. This has been a good day. What if I don't wake up? That sounds weird, right? But that's a real thing. So you talk about God and his sovereignty and his goodness at times of when you lie down at night. And then the fourth is when you get up, when you rise in the morning. Again, an opportunity to have a conversation about what God is doing. So many of us start off and we hit the floor and we're running out of the gate. But what an opportunity we have to maybe tell our kids about God's sovereignty. Um, one of my favorite things about traveling to Central America is, um, is uh, you would offer blessings in the morning. That's the way you would greet one another. You know, bless, uh, um, what is it, buen Dios, blessings of God or good God. That's how you greet people in the morning, right? Like, like good morning. Um, but it's, it's this recognition that um, God is sovereign yet again, that the birds are singing yet again, the sun has risen yet again, and that you have woken from your sleep again to participate in God's creation. And so that's the fourth. So very clearly, four places. In the house, when you're dwelling, hanging out. When you're walking along the road, doing life. When you lie down to go to sleep at night, and then when you get up, we have these opportunities to engage in conversations that mean something to our kids. Now, maybe you're a parent. And you're like, but my kids don't listen to me. <laughs> my kids are sick of me. My kids think that every time I talk, it's a sermon. That's for my kids, by the way. They call it an intellectual observation when I talk to them about stuff. But I got news for you. I looked into this. Guess who the most influential people are in the lives of kids? Who? Parents. Do you believe that's true? Yeah, I saw the eye rolls, right? Like, most, most parents don't think that's true. They, we believe, but our kids don't listen. Our kids aren't paying attention to us. Our kids aren't, no. That's, so they have done survey after survey. Google this when you get home if you want. Survey after survey have proven that parents are by far the most influential people in kids' lives. And you might go, well, yeah, it makes sense when they're babies, they can't get away. No, we're talking teenagers. They surveyed teenagers repeatedly, 13 through 18, and they even went up to 24 in one survey I looked at. They went from 13 years old all up to 24 years old, and they said, who is influencing you? Now, by 24, the parents' influence was starting to drop below their peers. But up until like 21, it was parents. Up to, I think it was 19. Up to 19, it was more parents than, than peers even. As a matter of fact, Barna did a survey of 13 to 17-year-olds and asked this, who is the greatest role model in your life? Oh, by the way, you can't say your parents. They said it in the survey, you can't say your parents. Do you know why? Because if they left parents in, the survey would be ruined because all kids would say, my parents, your role model, my parents. Now, you might, I'm going to say this earlier, by the way, you might say, but Bill, I have, you don't know my parents. I get that. You know, you might think you had terrible parents. Maybe you didn't, but some of us had parents that were less than perfect, no parents perfect, and no, none of us are parenting are perfect. But here's the reality. Even as an antithetical role model, you begin to model yourself on who you do and don't want to be based on your parents. Who's your greatest influence? My parents. I'm not going to be like that when I grow up. I'm going to be different. That's role model. Or we look up to them, which is more the case. We end up emulating our parents. So I excluded parents, but I wanted to read the stats because I think this is fascinating. This is how it came out then. Listen, church. 
37% of teens, when they couldn't say a parent, said somebody else in their family. That's four in ten. My biggest role model is someone else in my family. It could be a grandma or a grandpa. It could be a brother or a sister. It could be a cousin. It could be an aunt or uncle. But the minute they quit looking at mom and dad, they look around in the family to see who else is their greatest role model. 37% said that was true. After family then, meaning whatever the parent number would be, which would be huge, and 37% of teens then who left over after they couldn't choose parents, choosing other family members, this is how it breaks down. 11% for teachers and coaches. So those people who are daily in their lives in a school setting or, or a, a sports setting. 9% are at friends. So you can see you go from 37 with family to 9% friends. Saying friends are my biggest role model in my life. And then uh, 6%, this blew me away, pastors or other religious leaders. Now here's the caveat that they personally know. If they know them personally, 6% say they're my greatest role model. And then at this point, 6% actors, musicians, and other entertainers. So the people you listen to on the radio, people you watch on TV, people you watch on YouTube. After that, sports heroes, 5%. And then political leaders, 4%, which is funny for an adult because how much time we pay attention watching the political people. And then other faith leaders that we don't know personally, 4%. So that's kind of breaks down. So 37% in the family, 11% teachers and coaches, and then friends. Some interesting things about why they say, well, why are those people your remote role models? Relatives were looked up to because of the goals that they accomplished in life, because of the personality traits, and because of the way they handled adversity. They look up to people around them who are dealing well with the difficulty of life. This is the people that they go, I want to be like that one. Maybe you can relate to this when you were growing up. Maybe there was someone in your family that you saw, and you're like, yeah, you know, I have this model, but I want to be like that. And that's what the kids were identifying that they wanted to follow people who they saw dealing well with the adversity of life, getting on. Why they looked at friends? Because they, they found with their friends, they got encouragement and support. And I just thought that was interesting, and I, I won't spend a lot of time on that, but the idea that we always think, you know, we need to encourage and support our kids. You need to model behavior for your kids as a parent. Their friends are going to support and encourage them, right? And we want our kids to have good friends. But really, most teens are looking to their parents for model and their friends for encouragement. And then the same thing is true then for, um, for the teachers and the, um, the coaches. They're looking to them for uh, their lifestyle and for their encouragement that you can do it too. The possibility for me. Oh, I can lift weights too. I can do that. I can run track too. Oh, I can be smart. I can learn. I can become a scientist or I can do these things. I'm, a, I'm able. And then the last category I mentioned, athletes. And entertainers, you know why I looked up to them? For their talent. Isn't that funny? My baseball, I love my baseball player. He's awesome. And now he's not awesome anymore. Right? He lost it. It's different. Looking at entertainers because their ability to do things, one off. And so we, we see that, we hear that, and there's many, I'm telling you, many, many more surveys on all kinds of topics, and they found repeatedly over and over again that parents are the single greatest influencer in their kids' lives. Why would I share that with you? Because I think that often we don't believe that this is an important command to teach our children the commands of God, to encourage them as we walk along the road and sit at the house, and as we lie down, as we get up, we think, well, the world's really changing our kids, but, but we're just the parents. Oh, what can we do? I mean, how can we be involved? How can we help? But it's an absolute abdication of our responsibility, our opportunity that God has given us by placing people in our home.
so we get an opportunity to do this. And we're going to close it here. Verse 8 then. Tie these commands as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So some practical things you can do besides doing these things is you can create reminders for yourself. Um, one of the ways I think, I, you know, there was actually, there's this like leather strap that Judaism wraps around their hand to pray, right? It's a real, you can look it up and look into it. But there are some things that I do personally, and I, you can do things like this if you choose to, 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 to remind you to pray, to remind you of the commands of God. Um, I actually don't have all of my things, you might notice, but uh, I had, usually have a red bracelet. I've lost it right now, which really stinks. I'm looking for it. But these are camp bracelets where I've been praying for my campers. This one's two years old. Uh, this is our prayer for the kids at Promise Home. Um, and, and there's ways, and that's just a simple way that we can remind ourselves. We can do it with our kids, right? What do I do? Um, just a few, like my month and a half ago or so, I was at, we were at the dance house at the time, and a student walked in who I had as a, I was a counselor for at camp. He was in my cabin. He walks in, doesn't say a word, and from across from me goes like this. He's wearing it. Camp's what, July of last year? Every day. I was wearing mine too. I did it back. Is that something special? No. It's opportunity. You can do things like this. You can create things. Now, next, we're going to put headbands on. <laughs> I, I can't help but... I've seen these. Have you seen these boxes they put on the front of their head? I mean, it's like the most literal interpretation of Scripture. I have a hard time. Fair enough. But, you know, just keeping the commands before your eyes, right? I was interpreting that more, you know, uh, metaphorically or whatever. Because, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you bind it on your head. Put that little, it says between your eyes. You peep that little gem between your eyes. But that's where the word of God should reside for us as parents, as influences of kids. Right between our eyes. And then write them on the doorposts of your hand, of your house. We talked about that before. Write the, them, those commands on your doorposts and then on your gates. Um, you can post scripture in your house. And not to be preachy, not to be weird. And they don't have to be overtly scripture. Just, just things that you, that, that's true biblically. Think about the things you surround that you write around your kids in your homes, things that you choose to de declare in the privacy of your abode. And is it truly God-honoring and God-oriented? There's a fuzzy line here with stuff. I see it all the time. I'm like, that's not exactly biblical what's being said there. But you can qualify it. You can, you can post things. You can encourage. I, I told you before, uh, Chris, uh, who is awesome, awesome homekeeper, would have a tendency as she discipled her kids, when she saw one of our kids struggling with something, she would, make, she would cut out the actual scripture she wanted them to, to, to hear, to read, to understand, and she would stick it on the mirror they would see every morning they brush their teeth. Like very practically. You don't have to like it. You have to look at it because it's my house. Right? You're brushing your teeth and you're like, there's that verse. She would write it on there, right? Because she wanted her kids to get it. That the word of God is there to help you. That God is on your side. You're not alone in this. That you've been included in the kingdom of heaven. And that you're invited in by the grace of Jesus Christ. So we have these opportunities to do that. Post it. And then the last here, to put them on your, your gates. I always think about the ranches in Colorado. We were out there just recently for snowboarding. We're driving down this country road in the middle of this beautiful basin, and then here's those big ranch signs, and these just sprawling ranches, you see. But you could totally tell when it was a Christian ranch. You could just stop, and if you looked at it, you start to see it. You start to see the, the wording. It would, they would choose names for it. They would just beautiful, and they would, they would have symbols like crosses on them, and, and they would, you know, be, it would just, you just wanted to go in. I, I just wanted to go and I, one time we were, I, when I said, I want to go up there and knock on the door and say, hey, I'm a believer too. We saw one that had a cowboy kneel down. It was on the side of a barn. You could see it from the road. And it was a horse with his head dropped down and a cowboy with his head off like this, kneeled down in front of it, right? Cross between the horse and the cowboy. I wanted to go knock on his door and say, hey, me too, brother. 
What are you proclaiming to the world around you? What are your gates say? Many of us don't have gates. I don't have a gate in my house. But when you enter, how do you enter in? And do you understand that you're entering into a house that's blessed by God, that is celebrating God's blessing? Opportunities that we have to do these things. So this is kind of interesting because um, you might think, well, that's great for parents. But I'm not a parent. But here's the thing. We're all given this opportunity. I can't tell you how much, if you start to watch what kids are doing, they're watching us. They're watching you. you. See kids acting crazy sometimes. You know why? Look at ourselves. We're probably acting crazy. See kids demonstrating amazing faith. You might go, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm believing by the grace of God. I'm reminded of the story. So I would, the, the last point here is that parenting is not just reserved for parents. That to say, well, I don't have responsibility over kids because I'm not a parent is an abdication of our responsibility in following Jesus. You saw that Jesus early on was concerned with the children. He, he loved children. You remember the story of Timothy in, uh, in 2 Timothy. was raised by his grandmother and his mother in faith. Interestingly enough, I think it's the book of Acts, Timothy's dad wasn't a believer. It's recorded there. He was a Gentile and a pagan. He didn't believe in the God of the gospel. And yet, Timothy, his testimony that Paul gives when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 is that he was raised in the faith by his grandmother and his mother from his earliest days. And then later on, or actually in, in verse 1 2, Paul yet calls Timothy my dear son in the faith. Paul's not his father. Paul wasn't even married. But when Paul relates with Timothy, he says, my dear son in the faith. He was raised by his grandparents, his grandmother and his mother in the faith. And then get this, in, in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says, you've known the scriptures since you were an infant. How did Timothy's life get to where it is? Timothy, he's an interesting study in, in being raised in the faith. He's, he's not perfect. He's got some flaws. But he's known the scriptures since he was a child because of a faithful grandmother and mother in a house of a father who did not believe. Or Priscilla and Aquila, who were taught Apollos, a gifted speaker, a young man who was passionate to be a great proclaimer, but wasn't in, didn't know the full gospel. And they invite him into their home in the most gracious way. They run a home church, and they say, let us tell you the whole gospel. And they change his life. They're parenting Apollos. They're training him up. They're using the word in his life. Proverbs 22, 6. I don't know if you know what that verse says. Anybody know? Sometimes you, I don't know what the verse says markers are but i know what the verse is train up a child in the way he should go and what when he's old he will not depart from it it's proverbs it's a book of wisdom i think that's interesting some people see like well i'm gonna raise my kids in the faith and they'll never leave jesus it's not what it says so just train them up when they're young and how to follow god what it means to follow god and when they're old they won't depart that there's this kind of connection that they have with God through godly parenting that they, that they retain. There are seasons of, of pulling away from God. There's sin in our lives, and we reject God, and yet there's always hope. There's always hope that the gospel will prevail. So this is why dedications are important, why we dedicate babies here. Because we believe as a community of faith, we're trying to pray for parents and encourage parents to, to do their God-ordained duty and raise children up to know the gospel. Discipleship starts in the home, not a church. Starts with us, not with somebody else. This is why the noises we've been hearing from the room over here are so important this morning. When the door earlier, the door is like bang, bang, bang. I'm like, they're coming out. <laughs> 
And if you're a parent, if you're a parent, you're usually cringing. You're like, oh, my kid. I can't tell you how many times after service when a little kid doing laps. And they're like, oh, stop it. And it's like, that's awesome. Why? Because Jesus loved children. He'd be offended if you're like, stop, sit down, act right. You know, it's like, they're kids, man. That's awesome. Just feel like this. Do you know God loves you? Do you know God loves you? <laughs> hey, hey, do you know God loves you? <laughs> you know. Because the reality is that the kid's first impression of who God is comes through those around him who claim to know God. That's their first interpretation. So that's my angry, bitter. So that's why we need things like nursery workers. That's why we need blast workers. That's why we need crabby help. That's why we think student ministries are so important because we come alongside. I cannot tell you how important it was to have people uh, um, co-parenting with me as a believer in Jesus Christ. I thank God for the help. By the way, I think there's still, not to push it too hard, but I think there's still one month to sign up for, I think, Blast, if you want to do that. It's a God-ordained ministry. It's super important to Jesus. But here's the bottom line. No matter what your parenting experiences have been to this point today, whether a good or bad, whether you had great parents or terrible parents, whether you've been a great parent or terrible parent, here's the truth. We're invited to start over again with Jesus. Maybe you're like, man, I missed it. I blew it. Or man, my parents weren't good parents. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 10, 14? Do not keep the children from coming to me. He doesn't just mean them. He means us means us. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy, for the fact that you've given us an opportunity in these relationships that we have in this earth to um, invite one another into relationship with you. And there's a great mystery in that, Father, because you know all of us, you know each of us, and you know our own sinfulness, and yet you've been graceful to us. May we extend the grace that you've extended to us to others. May we believe more of your gospel than we do of the brokenness of the world. May we worship you more than we despair of the situations around us. And may you redeem your people. Father, I'm sure there are people in this room who've, who've had bad parenting experiences. They've, they've maybe um, felt like they've been bad parents or they feel like they've had bad parents or, or maybe they've, they've been blessed and they've had great experiences as a parent and, and they've been parented really well. Father, we give you praise and glory for all that, but we ultimately say you are our Father and you are good. That we belong to you and that you're redeeming us. And so today, Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit and encouragement upon parents who maybe are struggling this morning that you would just bless them in their role and affirm them and, and, and rebuke the lie that these little things that we think are so insignificant are not mattering in the lives of the children around us. We give you thanks for the places you've placed us, for the, what you have done in our lives. And then, Father, we pray, prayer, uh, that we'd be serious about the opportunity you've given us to know your word, believe it ourselves, and then teach it to others. Help us be faithful in that work. As we continue to grow together in relationship with each other and with you, may you be among us, guiding and leading, teach, teaching us how to love. We pray it in Jesus' name.